Scripture today is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, Storms have come, uh, sorry, my notes got jammed together here. That's the reading of God's Word. I've been talking, in, this is a little different sermon series for us, because rather than doing a real biblical exegesis, in other words, pulling the meaning out of the Scripture, I have been attempting to do the same kind of work with our culture, a little bit of cultural exegesis. If you've missed any of these sermons, as the weather has not been good, and many people have missed, um, they are online. You can get the website off the bulletin and listen. If you, have an iTunes, if you have iTunes or if you have a podcast app on your iPhone, you can look it up there. But I encourage you to listen to these because they have been, I think, very important sermons. I've talked about the three storms that I think have come together to make a perfect storm, a real struggle for our culture and a real struggle for our church. I talked about that we, the, the reality that we live in a post-Christendom world, which basically means Christianity doesn't have the center, it doesn't have the home field advantage anymore. I talked last week about post-modernism, which is where we've taken the ideas of modernism, the idea that we could logically come to some conclusions and break the world down into its parts and make the world better because of that. And I really tried to lay out last week that that has not worked. That for all the progress that we have made, we've also had a lot of destruction in our world. And so there's been a move to what I'm calling a post-modern viewpoint. Today I'm going to talk about that even in a little more detail. In what I call post-enlightenment. See, the modern mindset came about because of this thing called the Enlightenment. All kinds of people started reading started going back in the classics in the 14 and 1500s, and started, started to understand the way the world worked, and started wanting to learn and to grow. In the middle of that, a man named Gutenberg invented the printing press. And so suddenly, rather than having to hand print all books, you could mass produce books. You could mass produce papers. In fact, this is really how the Reformation gets started. Martin Luther is nothing without Gutenberg. Because what Martin Luther does when he, when he nails 95 theses to the Wittenberg church, 
and, and steps up against the Pope and against some of the things the Catholic Church at the time was doing, that would have been just a small academic debate. But somebody got a hold of that, and they printed it, and it spread, and then all across the country, the word of what Martin Luther had to say went. Gutenberg really made a big difference. It set the stage for modern thinking, for what I call, would call people who are Gutenbergs, typified by writing, by copying, by text and logic, the need to read, the need to think through things logically, Gutenbergs. But the world is changing. And one of the, one of the people I read a lot is a guy named Len Sweet. He talks about the move from Gutenbergs to Googlers. Think about Google. It's a different mindset, isn't it? Rather than trying to be fancy, Google keeps a very simple page where you can search for anything. All that information at your fingertips. You don't have to know, you don't have to be an expert because you can find the information. And the way that Google works and the way that, that iPhones and screens have changed, it's changing the way people think. I was in the mall this week and um, my kids were playing uh, in the playground at uh, the Ross Park Mall. So they're running around, Mandy was running around there with them, and I needed to check my email. So pulled out my phone and started checking my email. And then at one point I looked around and all the parents were in the same pose. All of them had their phone out, except Mandy was running around, which gave me the excuse to be able to do it. And I thought, I've got to put this thing away. We were there to get our Mac computer fixed. That We have a, a, a nice Mac computer, but it was having some trouble with the screen. And when we went into the Mac store, there were, there's a section called Kids. And the kids' table have these foam, they're like ball chairs. I can't sit in them, but my kids figured them out right away. And they had iPads for every kid with games on it. And all four of my kids, Eden, who's two included, sat there for half an hour and ran the iPad. If you should see little Eden work that thing. She can swipe. If you don't know, you have to swipe across with your things, you know. So to open it, you've got to slide your finger across, and you've got to slide across to, to shuffle through pictures. And Eden can do it just fine. In fact, my wife noticed something interesting a few months ago. Um, when I got an iPhone, I thought, okay, swiping is kind of like turning pages. So, okay, that made sense to me. But my wife noticed a, a couple months ago that my kids don't turn pages. They swipe pages. So the orientation for me was book. Okay, I can turn a page, so yeah, I can swipe across. That makes sense to me. But my kids are oriented the opposite way. When they pick up a book, they put their finger on the page and slide it across instead of turn the page. My kids are natural Googlers. They don't think in terms of books. They think in terms of iPad. They think in terms of screen. It's a different world. The move from Wikipedia, uh, from encyclopedia to Wikipedia, from newspapers to websites and blogs, from books to tablets. One of the things that they're starting to find out now is that the, literally the way your brain works, the neural pathways in people's brains are beginning to change because of the way we're using screens so much. We are moving from Gutenbergs to Googlers. Now, if you're younger, I am kind of a natural, I'm 31, I'm a natural Googler. 
not as natural as my kids are, but it's not for me a transition. But what we're finding is it's not even a generational thing anymore. How many of you out there have iPhones? You have iPhones? Okay, we, we've got a handful. How many of you have some kind of tablet, a Kindle or an iPad? Okay, look around. It's not just a young person thing anymore. We are changing the way we are thinking. A contact is not, is not anymore someone you meet. It's somebody you put into your phone. TGIF doesn't mean, thank God, it's Friday. It means Twitter, Google, iPad, and Facebook. People don't have landlines anymore, and so they're not typically listed in the, cell, in the, uh, in the uh, phone book. We all have cell phones now. See, postmoderns have lost confidence in authority figure. They've lost confidence in human reason to solve problems. And so they're looking for something, looking for a different way of thinking. They're not really into words, by the way. One of the things that we have in our culture is sort of an aversion to words. We've heard so many words by so many people that it just doesn't seem to work anymore. Okay, today I'm going to show two commercials, both Super Bowl commercials. I could have done this, any number of commercials, but I've got two commercials, one now and one later, that I think will help kind of bring this together a little bit. This is a favorite from the Super Bowl. You ready, Jim? So what's the commercial for? Budweiser, probably the first Budweiser commercial ever shown in this church. But did you see a Budweiser in the whole commercial? No, nothing. Did it say anything about Budweiser? Is there anybody out there that was like, you know, when I see puppies, it just makes me want to have a Budweiser? <laughs> no. It's a totally different... What we used to do in commercials was describe the product and why you should get the product. That commercial doesn't do what we think commercials ought to do. It's a postmodern, post-enlightenment commercial. What is it about? It's a story, right? A story about this puppy and this horse, and they get together. It's simple, pretty straightforward. You don't have to, you know, you can follow that. It's told very well. But what else do you notice about it? No words. Not a word in the commercial. In fact, there's a point where the lady talks, but they don't give the words that she says. There's no words in the entire commercial. Start watching commercials now. You find less and less commercials have words in them. Why? Because people are worded out. 
That's a Gutenberg, the idea of sharing a bunch of words to try to get people to, to buy your product. That's a Gutenberg way of thinking, not a Googler way of thinking. And think about it, Budweiser is not really trying to market here to a really young audience. They understand that even older audiences are starting to think differently. Consider right now the move from Jay Leno to Jimmy Fallon on uh, The Late Night Show. There's nothing wrong with Jay Leno, but I think what they understand is that they've got to go younger. So here's, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a Gutenberg or a Googler test. If you want it, I have it in print. You can see it later if you can want to do it with other people. Okay? But this is going to test whether you're more Gutenberg or more Googler. It's kind of a scale. Okay? So you know, kind of a nod or a hands up would be great if this is true for you. Have you sent a handwritten note to someone in the past six months? Yes? Okay. But, yeah, we still do that some. Have you mastered acronyms for quick texting? LOL, JK, I don't even do all of those. Have you written a check to pay a bill in the last two months? Okay, do you, do you know that this is a big change? I honestly do not have a checkbook. None. A lot of younger people that I know have no checkbook. We just don't need them. If we need to send a check, the bank will send a check for us. We don't have to do it. Have you used a postage stamp in the last two months? Okay, so yeah, it's all the people that are still sending checks. Uh, in the last month, have you written cursive beyond your signature? A couple of people? Barely, somebody said. If you misplaced your cell phone, could you send an email and still cruise the internet? Some people could. It's a little harder, though. When you're at home, does an incoming phone call require you to use your cell phone? How many of you still have a landmark? Oh, okay. How many of you do not have a landmark? Honestly, I have never owned a landmark in my adult life. I just never have. I don't, I don't know if I have a cell phone why I need a landmark. So how many of you are, are listed in the phone book? Are you listed in the phone book? Anybody not listed? Yes, cell phones don't normally get listed, so if you don't have the landmark, this is a big difference. Um, if you, if you had a battery loss in a mobile device, could you read the last book that you bought? Yes, you could buy. Okay. How many of you read online with a tablet or on your phone? Yeah, a lot more people are doing that. Do you watch television shows when they are on the first time? Okay. How many of you watch shows online? How many of you have a DVR? or the on-demand, so you can watch it whenever you want. There you go. Um, have you looked up a phone number or address in the phone book in the last three months? Okay, I, I don't even have a phone book. Because I have Google, I can look it up. This is another change. Um, do you use a pencil or a pen to keep a journal? Anybody? A lot of people don't journal. See, the, the, it's changing. The world is changing. The way we approach things, the way we interact is changing. For Gutenbergs, it was necessary to be right, to have it in writing. But for Googlers, it's much more important to be in relationship. For Gutenbergs, God is in charge. But Googlers, they have an understanding that God chose to be among us. And so there's a group leadership that happens. Gutenbergs care about capital campaigns. Googlers care much more about homeless campaigns. 
Gutenberg's like their statements of faith and their creeds. But Googlers, they like their life of faith and their actions in the world. Gutenbergs want to fit in, but Googlers seem to want to fit together with other people. It's a different way of thinking. I think Gutenberg's top temptation is to make the individual our God. So what's most important to me is me. I think Googlers have a different temptation. They want to make community God. They care more about what everybody thinks. The top challenge, I think, for Gutenbergs is that we, we like a culture of words and individualism. But in that, we, we've lost our ability to replicate. What you'll find is a lot of people that are natural Googlers aren't going to church. Because the church looks a lot like a Gutenberg church. Googlers have an opportunity, though. Because a lot of the way that the Bible talks about Jesus is much more image and much more story. And so we have the ability, if we start to change our thinking, to also come back to our roots. Let me show another Super Bowl commercial to try to get this through to you. There's Hulk Hogan, and there's the California Raisins. What did you notice? Not a lot of words, right? A little bit of words, but still a story. A story that Radio Shack is kind of a little bit making fun of itself. Radio Shack is the place where you go if you've got to get some technical wire, but it's not been a real cool store. And so they get the phone call that says, hey, the 80s called, and they want their store back. And in comes all these 80s figures, including Mary Lou Retton, did you catch that? I just thought it was funny. But what are they saying? They're poking fun at themselves, but they're trying to say, hey, look, we're, we're rediscovering ourselves. And they're connecting again this story with a feeling of renewal with you so that maybe next time you go to bioelectronics, you might think of them. Think about the slogan even. Come see what's possible when we do things together. That is a really weird slogan for a place like Radio Shack, right? Slogans used to be stuff that related to generally the products and what you were buying. What are they actually sloganing now? An experience. Let's do something together. See, that's Googler. That's a very Googler commercial. And I could have done any number of Super Bowl commercials because it was like a case study on this. 
Okay, it's Googler. It's a story gets you wrapped up. Why? So that, so that we can do something better together. There's something of value that we can do as a group. See, post-enlightenment thinking is here. It's real and it's inevitable. We don't need to change what we believe as a church. But we do need to understand the way people are thinking now, even the way we are starting to think. I kind of want to make a fake one of these commercials. I want to get a pastor in his office and he gets a call. And then he, he's kind of stunned and hangs up. And the secretary comes in and says, hey, what's going on? And the pastor says, the 1950s called and they want their church back. And then I could just imagine, you know, um, Elvis Presley and Humphrey Bogart coming in and taking the vestments and Jackie Robinson comes in and starts hauling out pews. Really, the 1950s called and they want their church back. I think the church of the future is going to have to be a post-enlightenment church. doesn't mean we throw out everything, but it means we need to tell a better story about what we have and what we're doing here. But I think this call is a pretty biblical one. Come and see what is possible when we do things together. Isn't that discipleship? Isn't that the message of Jesus? The Bible is, in fact, a lot of stories. In fact, an amazing story about this guy named Jesus who came and did all this amazing stuff. We tried to cram Jesus into enlightenment thinking. We tried to make him logical and understandable and predictable. But Jesus is not that. We need to let Jesus out again. Let the freedom of postmodern thinking, maybe that's just what Jesus needs. Because the most beautiful story of what we do is the story of Jesus. Consider these biblical truths that maybe we could say differently now because of postmodernism. Jesus is message more than manuscript. He's about the meaning more than how you say it. He's more story than instruction manual. He's more personal letter than the envelope that comes in. He's more mystery than equation. He's miracle more than logic and reason. He's profound experience, not just a lesson plan to be known. See, this is the challenge of the church of tomorrow. As Paul said in this text in Romans, we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I am not trying to argue that as a church we need to just conform to the world and everything that's going on. But I wonder if maybe in the middle of this, Jesus is at work to transform our minds and our lives. Let us see life anew. I don't think this is all doom and gloom for the church, because I think better things may be coming for Christians and churches that are attentive, open, biblical, and loving. So tell your neighbors and friends to come to Westminster Church and see what's possible when we all work together and when Jesus works in our midst. Let's pray. Father, the world is changing faster than many of us can keep up, and it's a little bit scary at times. It's challenging for us to imagine what church is going to look like in the future. Give us a boldness Give us a courage to move into the future. Not to be stuck in the past, but also not to lose the great things that you've done through us in the past. May we find that balance. May we tell your story. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.